0: Good evening. Afghan relief stymied uh, by lack of U.S. support. More than a thousand are dead after an earthquake. Biden goes to Madrid. New assaults on abortion rights as New York State grapples with a new gun law. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Monday, June 27th, 2022. An earthquake struck Afghanistan last Wednesday, near Khost, a remote province on the border with Pakistan, about 100 miles from Kabul. It was Afghanistan's deadliest earthquake in decades, with an estimated 1,000 people killed and 1,500 reported injured. Afghan officials say the death toll is expected to rise. That was the sound of food being dished out. Before that, we heard Malawi Ahmed Sahib. He's the Taliban aid supervisor for the area. He said in partial translation, the aid, which has been delivered here through Afghanistan and other charity organizations in the last few days, is being distributed to 1,000 to 3,000 families each day, and the process is ongoing. Hundreds have been left homeless and many are believed to be still trapped under the rubble of their homes, which are made of mud and other natural materials, particularly vulnerable to damage. The earthquake hit a country already in a spiraling economic crisis, plunging millions into poverty. The United Nations has called the situation a food insecurity and malnutrition crisis of unparalleled proportions. Meanwhile – The congressionally mandated watchdog for United States assistance to Afghanistan is accusing the State Department and U.S. Agency for International Development of illegally withholding information. Special Inspector for Afghanistan Reconstruction John Sopko said the State Department and U.S. aid were refusing to cooperate with his staff in violation of the law that created the office. The State Department didn't deny it had cut off cooperation with the watchdog, blaming a negative report from the agency known as SIGAR, S-I-G-A-R on last year's chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. The U.S. withdrawal from Bagram Air Base last year ended in a suicide bombing, killing more than 100 Afghans and 10 U.S. soldiers. The United States is withholding $7 billion in Afghan assets, even as the country is being overwhelmed by these humanitarian crises. Professor Emeritus at Lewis and Clark University, Zahir Wahab, he says the United States created the crisis in Afghanistan and must assist the country despite decades of animosity with the Taliban.
1: This was the poorest and least developed country in South Asia. is one of the poorest countries in the world. The last 20 years of U.S. occupation made the country almost 80% for its uh, budget dependent on aid. And then on August 15th, 2021, all of that stopped. All of the foreign aid, unilateral, multilateral, food, medicine, cash, everything stopped. There has been a drought for the last uh, three or four years. There's COVID. Uh, And all of the aid stopped. And also the United States after August 15, 2021 froze Afghanistan's $9 billion, $7 billion in the U.S. and $2 billion in Europe. And it also declared a complete sanctions by all of the world. And the 20 years was a kleptocracy. The U.S. installed kleptocracy, you know, installed by the U.S. and maintained by the U.S., but then when it removed the life support in 2021, the country was left with nothing. Since August 2021, the banking system has been crippled. Uh, you know, more than half of the people are unemployed. Half the people do not know where the next meal is coming from. Three and a half billion children are on the verge of starvation. The country is terribly isolated. And now this earthquake, uh, imagine Paul's Uh, One of the biggest problems now is that in all of the Paksikov province, one of the three provinces that was hit by the earthquake in the southeast, there isn't a single female doctor to deal with women in the whole province.
0: What role could the United States have considering the U.S. history in Afghanistan?
1: The United States, I would say, um, along with its allies, is directly responsible for Afghanistan's misery, underdevelopment, destabilization, and for the... Uh, Taliban, the medievalists, were now in power, Uh, this is the United States' creation, uh, you know, because, and also, if the United States really wants to support, which it must morally, because I would say the United States, I can develop Afghanistan by design and destabilize it and medievalize it, and the United States now is morally responsible to rebuild and reconstruct Afghanistan. One of the first things the United States can do is to fly in about 20, 30 helicopters. You know, that can be done very easily to carry supplies, you know, in aid to the earthquake uh, area. There's no money in Afghanistan right now. And the banking is crippled. And no one can deal with the Taliban or the Afghans because they're afraid of U.S., uh, you know, to anger U.S. So the U.S. has a lot to to do, you know, uh, and it's not doing much at all.
0: Sahir Wahab, He's senior advisor, he was senior advisor to the education ministry in Afghanistan from 2002 to 2006. And Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky demanded more military help for Ukraine's war against Russia in a live stream statement today. It came at the Group of Seven Summit as the leaders of the major economies prepared to unveil plans to pursue a price cap on Russian oil, raise tariffs on Russian goods, and impose other sanctions. The United States is also preparing to announce the purchase of an advanced service to air missile system for Kyiv. The speeches today came shortly after Russian missiles hit the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv for the first time in weeks. And as the Russian military unleashed an attack on a central Ukrainian city, hitting a shopping mall, killing at least 10. Ukraine wasn't the only item on the agenda. President Biden announced a new push to show the world the advantages of allying with the United States.
2: They officially launched the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment. We collectively have dozens of projects already underway around the globe. And I'm proud to announce the United States will mobilize $200 billion in public and private capital over the next five years for that partnership. We're here today because we're making this commitment together as a G7 in coordination with one another to maximize the impact of our work. I want to be clear, this isn't aid or charity. It's an investment that will deliver returns for everyone, including the American people and the people of all our nations. It will boost all of our economies. It's a chance for us to share our positive vision for the future and let communities around the world see themselves and see for themselves the concrete benefits of partnering with democracies. Because when democracies demonstrate what we can do, all that we have to offer, I have no doubt that we'll win the competition every time. President Biden today in Germany the G7 already is committed
0: to help finance Ukraine's immediate needs and plans support to rebuild its economy long term finance ministers from the group last month agreed to provide 19.8 billion dollars in economic aid to help Kyiv keep basic services functioning and continue its defense against Russian forces And here in the United States, a judge in Michigan today declined the request to move James and Jennifer Crumbly's cases. They are the parents of 15-year-old suspected Oxford High School shooter Ethan Crumbly. The parents have been charged with involuntary manslaughter for failing to secure the handgun used in the shooting. Four students were killed and seven people were injured, including a teacher. The judge today ruled that Ethan Crumbly's statements after the shooting can be allowed as evidence.
3: If I may, the other the concern we have
4: is we just found out, you know, two or three days ago that uh, Ethan Crumley's trial was moved to January. And yes. with, why do I care? Because we need him as a witness in this trial. Even if he gets up there and has to plead the fifth, he is he, a, he has a fifth amendment. Right. He can't take the fifth amendment the jury. Well he can he can answer questions that are not covered by the fifth amendment. So we can call him as a witness. Inflammatory. Statements by the shooter in his journal that, quote, the shooting is tomorrow and I'm about to shoot up the school and spend the rest of my life in prison are, again, non-testimonial and clearly express the shooter's state of mind and intent and are therefore admissible.
0: And at the top of that clip was the attorney for Jennifer Crumbly, the mother. Judge Cheryl Matthews spoke at the end. At the time, it was just another in a string of attacks on schools across the country, this time a high school, culminating now in a law recently passed and signed by the president, uh, the first in many years to try and uh, regulate possession of certain types of firearms. and The governor of a very conservative red state, Kristi Noem is the governor of South Dakota, you might know, and a strong supporter of President Trump. Uh, Her state has long had what they call a trigger law setting up the state to immediately ban abortions upon the repeal of the Roe v. Wade decision, which occurred on Friday at the Supreme Court. Over the weekend, Noam was being interviewed on one of the uh, television talk shows on Sunday where uh, she said, well, the state of South Dakota doesn't have any uh, plans to prosecute women who try and get an abortion, but it sure does have plans to go after the doctors.
4: Executing mothers ever. And it will always be focused towards those doctors who knowingly break the law to perform abortions in our state.
0: And there she is, Kristi Noem, the governor of South Dakota, laying out the terms. And those terms were uh, met over the weekend right after Friday's decision at a concert in Europe with the singer, rocker really, Phoebe Bridgers, who angrily stirred up the crowd, of which most were not Americans, but some were to a uh, chant that maybe we'll be hearing more of and have been hearing from various musicians and other artists who are as opposed to what the U.S. is doing around abortion as maybe some young people were opposed to US's, to uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Here is a clip from Phoebe Bridger's concert right after the decision overturning Roe v. Wade came down on Friday.
4: In all, in all honesty,
3: it's like super surreal and fun. But I'm having like the shittiest day. Okay. Like, are there any Americans here? Who wants to say f- the Supreme Court on three? One, two, three, f- the Supreme! F- that sh f- America. Like, f- you all these irrelevant old motherfuckers. Trying to tell us what to do with our fucking bodies. Ugh.
2: Like,
3: yeah,
2: I don't know. Okay,
3: F- <laughs> whatever.
0: And that was from the uh, Phoebe Bridgers concert right after the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade was announced. And uh, there were some powerful words from Cornell West, who is a uh, longtime uh, activist and revolutionary Christian. He had this to say to women fighting this struggle.
5: The attack on women's rights, women's control over their bodies, the attack on poor people, the attack on black people, the attack on indigenous people, the attack on immigrants and brown people, so that there's a solidarity bringing us together against an escalating fascism in the country. And at this particular moment, we must be in the streets, not just hit the streets, stay in the streets. And some of us, again, must indeed go to jail in front of the Supreme Court to make sure that we defend the right of women, no matter what color they are, to live lives of control over their bodies of dignity and decency and always making the larger connection between the struggle against escalating neo-fascism in the country and the various forms that it takes.
0: And that was Cornell West, who's a professor at Union Theological Seminary, leading public intellectual. And Michelle Chai is a activist organizer with Rise Up for Abortion Rights. She was at the Supreme Court building, which is on Capitol Hill, right behind the United States Capitol, actually, on Friday. She's been there every day since. She spoke with WBAI from Washington about her experiences there.
3: There's been protests for three days straight. Yesterday, we led a march to the White House, from the Supreme Court to the White House to demand that the federal government reinstate abortion, legal abortion across the country.
0: Were you surprised by the decision Friday?
3: Not surprised, but still nothing prepares you for that, for the way it hits you when you hear that it's actually like became law, right? That they actually took away the protection, Roe versus Wade, for abortion rights. And still so a punch to the gut is outrageous. And it's a nightmare for women and girls all over the country.
0: What does this mean for women going forward in the United States?
3: We have to fight, and this is what Rises for Abortion Rights is calling for right now, is mass of nonviolent protests in the streets to demand that the federal government reinstate legal abortion across the country. We cannot let women be left without this right. So this is what we're calling for, is protests in the streets right now.
0: Well, are people following that call?
3: Not sufficient. That's the problem right now, is that people are still very largely like waiting for the November elections. And that's where we really have to push a fight and a struggle for people to actually get out into the streets right now and not sit this out, not accept any part of
0: it. If Hillary Clinton had won, if Donald Trump had not won the election, if uh, people had stepped up back in 2010 when the Tea Party got started and voted, Democrats into office, wouldn't this be a different world?
3: If people would have gotten out into the streets when that happened, when Trump actually came into office,
0: Uh, How does taking the streets happen, and why is that better than just mobilizing everybody to vote Democratic?
3: Because we have to create a situation in this society that compels the federal government. The federal government, they could do it. On federal lands, they could, like, open up abortion clinics. They could do that. They have the power to actually reinstate abortion legal across the country. We have to compel them to do that by being in the streets and nonviolent sustained protests and shutting and bringing the, the gears of society to a halt to show them that we are not going to accept living in a world and a society where young women and girls don't have this right. This -hmm. is how we have to compel them in the streets.
0: Some folks have been saying that this is a silver lining, that this is what people needed to galvanize the opposition and that maybe the right bit off a little more they could chew at this point.
3: No, we have to call on the people that feel just like us. There's like millions of people across this country that care about the lives of half of humanity who right now their rights are being taken away. Those people have to get up off of their couches, they have to get into the streets and they have to bring everybody out who is pro-choice, who cares about LGBTQ people because they're next, who cares about like birth control, who cares about the future of humanity to get in the streets now. Those are the people that we are speaking. To. We're not trying to change the minds of these fascists who we know who celebrated and popped champagne bottles in front of the Supreme Court as the decision took place. We're not trying to change their minds. We're not trying to change their hearts. We're calling on those decent people who care about justice to get in the streets now and join us.
0: Shai, she's an organizer with Rise Up for Abortion Rights, has been in front of the Supreme Court since Friday with a constant show of people protesting and those protests are spreading across the country, but many states and other localities are going over what they might have to do to protect the rights of their citizens as well as others who might be coming to states like New York or California or some of the others that uh, legally defend and uh, provide a woman's right to choose in new york city mayor adams was speaking today about the role of health and hospitals the new york city hospital system which he says does more abortions and far more than clinics run by planned parenthood in new york city and will continue to provide those abortions to anyone who walks in the door
6: h and h is doing a real good job certain things jumped off at me right away number one we have to do a better job of broadcasting that you can come to h and h you could come to a hospital uh, with privacy, because since it's a hospital, people don't know why you're going, and you'll have the privacy that you want. Uh, same days, um, uh, care is given. Someone can walk in and get receive the necessary care and counseling. It was extremely impressive. And that's the
0: mayor speaking earlier today. Now, Governor Kathy Hochul was speaking today about another issue that came out of the Supreme Court, which is uh, causing a lot of consternation, and that is the overthrow of the century-old right of New York City and other localities, New York State and other localities around the country to uh – Create a licensing structure for possessing guns in their jurisdictions. The United uh, New York, uh, New York City, for example, since 1913 has had strict rules about who can get a permit in order to carry a gun, and uh, you have to have a specific reason. Well, under the new decision, pretty much uh, if it goes through, anybody in uh, in New York or anywhere else can carry a gun as long as it's out on the side on their hip for everybody to see, and. Uh, the governor said today that she'll be holding an extraordinary session of the state legislature on Thursday to talk about it.
4: We've had a law on the books in this state for over 100 years. This is not a new idea. 100 years to say that there are special requirements for someone to be able to carry, concealed on their body, a weapon. And they have decided that the governor of New York State does not have the power to do that. Does anybody agree with that one? No. So, I'm here to say this is not the old gun-toting Wild West. This is the gun regulating safer East, especially here in New York State. So we're going to prevent that from happening. So what do I have to do? I had to call an extraordinary session. That's actually what they call it. It is extraordinary, but it's called an extraordinary session, meaning that instead of waiting till our legislators who worked so hard up until a couple of weeks ago in Albany, that they're going to come back not in January, but they're coming back literally on Thursday.
0: And that's Governor Kathy Hochul. And speaking today, Mayor Adams also addressed guns in his press conference, and he said that. If the Supreme Court decision takes hold within, he said, a year to a year and a half, then uh, police in New York City are going to have to change the rules that they use to do business in order to uh, deal with people who would be openly carrying guns anywhere they wanted pretty much in New York City. He also added that the uh, power of the city and the state to regulate key areas to which guns can be prohibited was also in itself
6: limited. The governor, we've asked her to call for a special session to go back and look at the legislation. And we have to do this as a partnership, because if we do it incorrectly, we're going to open ourselves up for another ruling. We'll open ourselves up for a pause in what we're doing. So we want to coordinate with the cities coordinate with our city councils, our local lawmaking bodies and have the governor lead the charge on what new definition of sensitive locations uh, should be. We have to get it right. If we get it wrong, try to go outside our scope, we can put ourselves in a bad place because we can't just classify something as a sensitive location. It must fit within the parameters of the ruling. And so our legal teams are looking at that to come up with the appropriate way to define what a sensitive location is. We can now do governmental buildings and certain things we can do, but trying to do an expanded definition is going to have to fall within the legal team's understanding of the ruling. When it gets in full stride a year from now and you start to see a substantial uptick in guns and people carrying guns, it's going to be it's going to it's going to be hard. (laughs) You know, we have to figure this out. And I spoke with the commissioner of knowing that you can be in Times Square and hundreds, thousands of people can carry a weapon. And how do you police that? How do you police it in places that are not sensitive locations? We are figuring it out. We're going to get it right, but I'm not going to try to downplay how this is going to really put us in a place that we have to uh, use methods of policing. Because historically, if someone had a gun, approaching them and determining if they carry that gun legally, because we have very little carry permits. We may have had target permits but we had very little carry permits and so now you know everybody's carrying everyone will everyone will have the opportunity to carry And so the commissioner her team we're looking at how do we change our policing strategies to this new norm in our city the supreme court really made america a very dangerous place particularly in new york city i just don't know what they were thinking about to allow this to happen, they one thing for sure they were not thinking about New York. Adams earlier today,
0: and former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Well, he had an incident on Staten Island. It maybe would have turned out differently if open carry was the uh, norm and everybody was carrying a gun, but. That didn't happen, fortunately, but the mayor, the former mayor, did spend the day today explaining the shock and pain he felt after a worker at a shop right on Staten Island smacked him on the back Sunday and cursed at him as he campaigned for his son, who's running for governor. The the 39-year-old worker was charged with secondary assault involving a person over 65, which is a felony in, in New York, but later today, prosecutors downgraded it to misdemeanor charges of assault in the third degree, menacing, and harassment. His lawyer said our client merely patted Mr. Giuliani who sustained nothing remotely resembling physical injuries with malice to simply get his attention as the video footage clearly showed. Giuliani, 78, talked about how scary the situation was even as social media was full of those who mocked the severity of the encounter. All of a sudden, I feel a shot on my back like somebody shot me. I went forward but luckily I didn't fall down, Giuliani said. On Sunday on the Curtis Sliwa show on another radio station here in New York. Earlier today, Giuliani talked to reporters explaining the man yelled dirty curse words as he retreated. And finally, tune back in. We have an emergency meeting, January 6th panel tomorrow, 1 p.m. We're going to be covering it live on WBAI starting tomorrow Tuesday, June 28th at 1 p.m., the House January 6th panel is calling a surprise hearing to present evidence. It says it recently obtained raising expectations of new bombshells in the sweeping investigation into the Capitol insurrection –